You're listening to the Redeemer London podcast. For more information, visit our website at redeemerlondon.org. We're going to read from Mark, Mark chapter 14. So if you've got a Bible, I'd love you to turn there. We're doing three weeks on Easter. Three weeks on Easter. We've called it the road to resurrection from broken bread to empty tomb. Now, if you know anything about the book of Mark, you will know that Jesus started walking towards Jerusalem at the end of chapter 9. There's 16 chapters in the book of Mark, and, and I guess if I was really going to do this journey, I should have done all those chapters. But already I anticipate it being like kids in the car saying, are we nearly there yet? We are nearly there. This is the, literally the night before Jesus goes to the cross and the resurrection. It's the Last Supper. Now, I know if I say the Last Supper to you, many of you will get this picture coming to your mind. Leonardo da Vinci and his masterpiece. I was doing some research on this this week. It took him four years to paint this. 1494 until 1498, just in case you're interested. The picture itself, one of the most recognizable artworks in the world, is 460 centimeters by 880. Look carefully. This was a failed experiment. Oh, yeah, now you're more interested, aren't you? They reckon it was the first time that he painted on dry plaster, and as a result, it didn't take. And so actually, it's caused lots of problems. If you look very close, you can see that there is some salt spilt. I discovered this week that this is symbolic if you'll also look very closely, you'll discover that they're eating fish. Fish is uh, Italian. The word is very similar to one who denies Jesus. It was very symbolic. You know, to get the perspective, he actually used a hammer and nails and nailed into the plaster and then put the lines out so that he could get the perspective right. What you're looking at is not the original. This has been restored so many times, they don't think any of it has survived. 1726 was the first restoration. In fact, at one time, a door was cut into it underneath. It was a stable, and it was even bombed. Oh, so what is there about the Last Supper? I guess what I want us to do is to stop and have a fresh look at this whole picture of the Last Supper and to take some time to look at it and hear what God might be saying to us. It's recorded in three different Gospels, but I'm going to be reading from the Gospel of Mark. Mark chapter 14 and verse 12, the Lord's Supper. On the first day of the festival of unleavened bread which is when, when it was customary to sacrifice the Passover lamb, Jesus' disciples asked him, where do you want us to go and make preparations for you to eat the Passover? So he sent two of his disciples telling them, go into the city and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him. Say to the owner of the house he enters, the teacher asks, where is my guest room, where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large room upstairs, furnished and ready. Make preparations for us there. 
the disciples left, went into the city, and found things just as Jesus had told them. So they prepared the, the Passover. When evening came, Jesus arrived with the twelve. While they were reclining at the table eating, he said, Truly, I tell you, one of you will betray me. One who is eating with me. They were saddened and one by one said to him, Surely not I. It is one of the twelve, he replied. One who dips bread into the bowl with me. The Son of Man will go just as it is written about him. But woe to that man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. While they were eating, Jesus took bread. And when he'd given thanks, he broke it and he gave it to his disciples saying, Take, this is my body. Then he took a cup. And when he'd given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank from it. This is the blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many, he said to them. I tell you the truth, I will not eat again from the fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it anew in the kingdom of God. When they'd sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. R.T. Kendall He was a Christian writer and speaker, said this, one of the least understood yet most practical events in church life is the Lord's Supper. One of the least understood yet most practical events in church life is the Lord's Supper. Jesus, we believe you're here by your spirit now. We don't just want to study a painting from the past. We want to look at this story and ask that you would bring fresh revelation to us. We pray for our minds and our hearts. We ask that we'd be changed as you speak to us from this passage. For your glory. Amen. Passover preparations. The gospel is written by Mark. We know that Mark was writing lots of material from Peter. It was very fast paced and it was aimed at Gentiles. The the reality was he explains that what the Passover was. We can see that. It was so quick that he doesn't tell us which disciples went, but we know from reading the gospel of Luke that it was Peter and John. So these two are sent. Why are they sent? Well, we think Jesus and his disciples were in Bethany, but you were not allowed to celebrate the Passover in Bethany. You had to do it in Jerusalem. So he sent them to Jerusalem to get everything ready. A man is carrying water. I mean, I was going to say, I was trying to think of an example for today. I guess it's a bit like you find a bloke with a pink umbrella. Now, nowadays, you might say, well, some guys like pink umbrellas. That doesn't help. But it was meant to be one that stood out. Men did not carry water in those days. So to suddenly see, oh, there's a bloke carrying water, there'd only be one in the whole place that would be carrying the water. We don't know why. We don't know if that was a sign. We know the authorities were looking for Jesus. So was it a sign that was prearranged, follow him? We're not sure. The spare room. In those days, they used to build almost like another box on top of their house, which you'd access via side steps. 
It was actually the law that if you had one of these upper rooms, you had to allow visitors to use it. It wasn't like Airbnb where you could charge and make money for it. It was almost like we're a community, and so somebody would come and use that. The whole sense of a meal is a place to celebrate Jewish people. But there's so much more detail in it if we just stop and look. What's the whole thing about? Now, some of you that have read the Old Testament will know that the Passover was celebrating when Moses, after the 10 plagues against Pharaoh, led the people who'd been slaves for 430 years out of Egypt. We know that. Do we realize all the symbols that are involved? The Bible tells us a lamb was slaughtered and that a badge over the door of blood was put up. We know that when they celebrated a Passover, they ate bread, unleavened bread, because they left in haste. We know that part of the Passover is to take salt water. That was to remind them of the sea that they crossed and the tears that they wept. We know that part of the Passover includes bitter herbs, a reminder of the bitterness of slavery in Egypt. We know that they had a paste called charasheth, which would remind them of the bricks that they made in Egypt. We know that they had wine. Four glasses of wine is part of the Passover. One for every promise God made. I will bring you out. I will rid you of their bondage. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm. I will take you as my people. Four promises, four glasses of wine. That's what we know. So this whole preparation thing is lining us up to think, hey, this is not just any minute. This is not just a cheeky Nando's moment. If we're really honest, sometimes you think, oh, shall we meet up? Let's have a cheeky Nando's. There's nothing great about it. You're just connecting with the person. No, this was something really, really special. They were looking back and celebrating what God had done. They were looking forward to the day when no other sacrifice would be needed. Tom Wright. If you've been here before, you know that when he's called Tom Wright, he's writing for the ordinary person. When he's N.T. Wright, it means you're an academic He says this, this is the time, talking about Jesus, when he will go as a greater Moses, ahead of the 12, ahead of Israel, ahead of the world, into the presence of a greater slave master than Pharaoh, into a terror greater than walking through the sea to lead the world to freedom. So he was saying, look, you've got to look really carefully at this story. Because if you think about it, it reflects Moses leading the people. Jesus is a greater Moses. If you think about it, he, you know, he's not just leading the 12 or the 12 tribes. Actually, he's going ahead of the whole world. He's not just going to a greater slave master than Pharaoh. He's literally going in to hell itself. Tom goes on to say, this is not on the quote, this Passover meal with a difference is going to explain more deeply than words could ever do what his action and passion the next day really meant. So why have we started the journey on breaking bread? Because this picture signifies so much of what Christ is going to do over Easter. Yeah, I honestly believe for Christians, if you believe in Jesus Christ, Easter is more important than Christmas. 
Now, if you know me, you think, really, Pete? I mean, I decorate my house for Christmas from the 1st of December. I get so excited. But actually, if we understand the picture of Passover, we'd be more excited about Easter than we are about Christmas. It says, while they were reclining. This, we think, is the only difference of the Passover from when it had first been celebrated. So some of you were suddenly saying, oh, that's not in Exodus. You're absolutely right. When they had the first Passover, how were they to take it? The Bible clearly says they were to take it stood up. It says you're to be stood up, you'd have your coat on and you'd have the Passover. Why? Because they were escaping. They were reclining because they were now in the land that God had promised. And so suddenly everything else would have been the same, but here they are reclining at this table and we see Jesus in total control. See, God is sovereign and the more you look at this, you think there's a thread running right the way through it. Jesus knew the events that were about to happen. I mean, that's phenomenal, isn't it? You see this man, you go to this room, you prepare it. Jesus knew everything. He didn't have a smartphone. He didn't book it ahead. We can just think, oh, well, you know, being pre-arranged. All we know is Jesus knew all the events. But maybe more impressive to me is Jesus knew what was in somebody's heart. I don't know about you, if I'm really honest, I can turn up at church and I can wear my church face, you know, put a nice smile on. Nobody really knows what's going on in my heart. I guess apart from Jesus. And here, Jesus knows the heart. He knows about Judas. He's not named in this bit because actually if you read the the bit before in Mark 14, it says Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priest to betray Jesus. They were delighted to hear this and promised to give him money. It's not actually mentioned in the Last Supper, but Mark's already told you because he's so excited. It's such a rapid gospel. Actually, Judas is going to do the dirty deed. Some commentators that I read this week said Jesus wouldn't have mentioned it because if he did, the disciples might have duffed Judas up. Maybe they weren't aware what he was about to do. They would have feared, oh, no, no. If it, and, and Jesus didn't want him to stop the Father's plan. We don't find this as shocking as they would have done then. The whole thing of dipping was that you were eating together. It was that close that literally you were that close a friend that we would share food together. The prayer meetup that I've been involved in uh, for the last 10 weeks been outstanding. Andre, uh, I know, has been leading that along with Barney. We all went out for pizza together this week, which is brilliant. It's just a great laugh, particularly when uh, someone went to the toilet and we all ran off and left them to pay the bill. But actually, you just look back and think, oh, what a great time together. Food together is just really enjoyable. And that was it here. There was a sense of intimacy and closeness and friendship. Jesus wasn't betrayed by a stranger. He was betrayed by a friend. But Jesus even knew that right in his heart. In fact, if you read this passage and you just dwell on it, Jesus didn't just know the events that were about to happen. He didn't just know what was going to happen in people's hearts. He also knew the future. Jesus clearly says, doesn't he, this will be my last meal. 
He knows what the next 24 hours will hold. We will be looking at the cross next Sunday. Jesus knows that he will eat this again in heaven. There's so much richness if we stop and look at this story. Again, I I wish we had time to to, to go through it. I could only quickly flick through Mark. But whenever Jesus gets a hold of bread, three things happen, and it happens here. Jesus takes the bread, he blesses the bread, and he breaks the bread. Well, if you flicked in your Bible to Mark chapter 6, you would see that Jesus did it there. Taking the five loaves and the two fishes, looking up to heaven, he gave thanks, he broke the loaves, then he gave them to his disciples to distribute. He divided the fish. So Mark has recorded this. Oh, there must be some intention. Jesus took the bread. He blessed the bread and he broke the bread. That's in Mark 6. If you look in Mark 8, you can see it again. He told the crowd to sit on the ground. When he had taken the seven loaves, they think the first miracle feeding the 5,000 was amongst the Jews. They think the next one was amongst the Gentiles. When he'd taken the seven loaves and given thanks He broke the bread and gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. So three times when Jesus is connecting with bread in the Gospel of Mark, he takes it, he blesses it, and he breaks it. It's a bit like the picture. The longer you look at the picture, the more you understand the revelation. I would like to suggest this morning that that is Jesus and humanity That actually he is God who has taken on humanity and came to bless humans. But will the next day be broken for them? Jesus is fulfilling this picture that we have seen throughout the Gospel of Mark. I've taken on humanity. I will bless humanity. I will be broken for humanity. I guess this is preacher's license. The third and final point for me this morning is there was a Passover preparation reclining at the table, but Jesus said, do this. I told you, Matthew, Mark, and Luke all record this. The the Gospel of John records the feet washing incident the night before Jesus died. In Luke 22, the same account of this, it says he took the bread, he gave thanks, he broke it, he gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you, do this. In remembrance of me. Jesus was almost establishing a new covenant. He wasn't saying this covenant is to be kept by obeying the law. He's saying this covenant is to be kept by the shedding of blood. J.C. Ryle, he was an English Anglican bishop, said this. All such will find this sacrament a means of grace. It will assist them to rest in Christ more simply and to trust in him more entirely. Several things are symbolized and affirmed in the Lord's Supper. We're going to look at two of them. The first is this, all that Christ has done for us. You see, we're going to be breaking bread this morning after we've finished here. And so often we think about the bread and the cup. What do we think about when we think about this? The first thing we remember is what Christ has done for us. We celebrate Christ died. His body broken, his blood poured out. Paul writing to the church in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 11 says this, For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim 
the Lord's death until he comes. As Christians, we believe that Christ died. We believe it's the death and resurrection, that's the week after, come back on Easter Sunday, is absolutely key to our whole Christian faith. He didn't come and just say, I'll sweep your wrong under the carpet. He didn't come and say, I look the other way and pretend I never noticed. Christ came and died. He died for us and he loves us. When we take this, we are affirming Christ and his love for me. 1 John 3 verse 16, it's one of the letters in the New Testament. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. This is how we know what love is. When we celebrate this, we are celebrating that Christ died and that Christ loves us. So when we we take this and we're, we're told to do this regularly, do this, you know, God loves you. I was chatting with uh, a friend just this week who was asking lots of questions. And, and to be honest, I couldn't answer with the questions, but I kept looking him in the eye and said, but I know this, God loves you. Some of you this morning, if you're really honest, could relate to what Sam shared about, oh, maybe things are just really dark at the moment. Oh, I just, I, I'm, I'm aware of the darkness, but the piercing light for you this morning is, but God loves you. And even as I look around, you think, oh, is he looking at the person behind me? And God says, I love you. God says, I love you. That is what this is all about. Oh, but you don't know what I've done this this week. God says, I love you. What else do we discover about Christ when we break bread together? We affirm this, that all the blessings of salvation are reserved for me. What do I mean by that? Jesus said, I'm going to do this with you one day. When? In heaven. And the Bible describes that as this great banquet. And this is a foretaste of the eternal banquet with no calories that we'll enjoy forever. Isn't that incredible? Now, that's a physical thing. It's a spiritual thing. So as you come and receive this, what you're saying is, God, there are so many blessings for me. And I remember that. May you go sit in the front row every week. I've always told people, if you lean forward, you get a better sermon. The louder you are, the better it comes. Thank you, May. What do we discover about ourselves? I think we discover this. Our participation in the benefit of Christ's death. If you're a believer, we encourage you to take the bread and the cup as it comes around. But literally, as you reach out... You are receiving the benefit of Christ's death for yourself. Now, there's nothing magical about this bread or this juice that we use. But by faith, you're reaching out and receiving from him. And that's why we encourage it. We can forget these things. We can think, oh, it just gets passed around. And there'll be people that come and serve it in a moment. And you suddenly think, oh, it gets passed around. No, when you take it, you're reaching out and you're saying, actually, Christ, what you've done, I receive. You're reaching out and saying, yeah, I want to take that in my own life. I believe, what else does this do for us? I believe there is spiritual nourishment. 
Just as when you've had a great meal, you've had a great feast, physically you feel fed, I believe that spiritually you feel fed as well when you come and take this. John Piper, preacher from the state, says this, The purpose of the Lord's Supper is to receive from Christ the nourishment and strength and hope and joy that comes from feasting our souls on all that he purchased for us on the cross, especially for his fellowship. So actually, you could think, oh, it's just a bit of bread or it's just a sip of juice. No, no, actually, there's something spiritually where we're nourished because we celebrate the Lord's Supper. What else is there for us in the breaking of bread? Well, I think there's a sense that we are united together. You look around the room, we honestly believe we're one family. All those that believe, young, old, rich, poor, single, married, educated or the university of life wherever we've come from we're united because actually we would take the one loaf there is a picture there paul writes to the church about it in 1 corinthians 10 because there is one loaf we who are many are one body for we all share the one loaf there's this sort of sense of wow this is a beautiful thing this is what unites us it's not where we all happen to live in Ealing and, and you know, we all enjoy playing chess. Now we're united because of Jesus Christ. What else happens when we take this? We affirm our faith in Christ. I need you and I need you to forgive me. That's why we do it regularly, isn't it? We don't ever want to get beyond the gospel. The gospel is I've done wrong against the holy God. But he sent his son to die for me. He forgives me and brings me into a relationship with him. So I never want to lose the joy of, wow, Jesus, you died. I need you and I get to know your forgiveness. This road to resurrection, in many respects, is all shown by this one meal. And that's why I want us to celebrate it now. I want us to be able to come together and say, actually, we're going to do this. Tim Keller, my last quote means people are getting ready at the back. The Lord's Supper is going back and renewing the original covenant. Jesus Christ dies. That's the bridge between me and God. What's the purpose of the Lord's Supper? The Lord's Supper is to get the intimacy back by renewing the covenant, reliving the idea of Christ's death and resurrection for me. You see, the beautiful thing about this road to the resurrection is we get to journey on it today. This is not some historic thing. This is not some painting that's been touched up and we don't actually know the original. You can know the original Christ when you're taking this. He forgives you. He loves you. He's got grace for you. This is phenomenal, isn't it? This is why Easter... And look, we do this every week. If you come here as a church, but this is why Easter surely has got to be our high point in the life of the church. Because we're literally coming and saying, thank you, Jesus. Now, I know that um, the guys and girls are going to start serving the bread and the cup to us. I'm going to encourage you all just to take it. I know that they will pass it. If you're not a believer and this is not for you, please just let it pass you by. But they will literally bring it down to the ends of the rows and pass it along I'm just going to encourage you today, I'd like you to take the bread and to take the cup and just hold it. 
and then we're going to be taking it all together. But whilst we've got those few moments, just while that's ready, why don't you just think about all that this means to you? If we're really honest, living in London, we rush all the time. And there can even be a danger here if you suddenly, oh, it just feels a rush. Jesus, we want to come and fix our eyes upon you. We want to take another look at this supper. Sometimes we sing, it was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished. We want to reach out to your grace and your love. We want to take a hold of all that you have for us. We signify that we're one together. This is so rich. In our darkness, we believe that you come in light. Just let the Holy Spirit minister to you now. I'd like us all to stand, please. I know you all have your bread, but I just felt this week we don't very often do this. I I wanted to hold up and say, come on, this is the one loaf that we're all a part of. This is what it's all about, isn't it? We are one united family because of what Jesus Christ has done. It was his body that literally was broken for us. And this is why we come with our bread and we say, thank you, Jesus, for all that you've done. I'm going to encourage those that have the bread now just be able to take it and just say thank you to Jesus for what you've done. Why don't you take the bread now? Paul writing to the church. In the Corinthians, in Corinth, says 1 Corinthians 11, For I received from the Lord what I passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. When he'd given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. I know in this church we've all got our own individual cups, but I'd love us just to think again about the fact that Jesus' blood was shed for us. There's this sense, isn't it? I mean, we don't often like to think about the physical pain that he went through. But literally he died. He gave his life. Blood was always considered the life. He gave his life for us that we might live. And as we come now and we take the cup, we say, thank you, Jesus, for your life for me. Let's take the cup together. Jesus, we thank you that one day we'll do this when you come again. 
we were singing even this morning about we can't wait for that day our eyes will be fixed on you we do believe that we will keep doing this in remembrance of what you've done looking forward to that day when you will come in your kingdom and we will celebrate it with you we thank you for the wonderful truth of this last supper that we celebrate week after week Amen.